We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Pacer Nation, what is going on? Welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace. I'm your host, Alex Golden. And joining me today, as he does every week, it's the one and only, the great Michael J. Fachi. Fachi, what's going on, brother? Alex, nothing much. I was riding the high of last week when we brought in Levert. And ever since then, little by little, the Pacers are getting banged up. So the highest of highs, I'm not going to say the lowest of lows, because there's still a lot of optimism towards this team. But once again, we they just can't stay healthy. Yeah, it's like you get Goga back. And then Miles gets hurt. You know, you trade you trade Vic for Levert, then you find out he's got a very scary situation. And hopefully it's nothing too serious. But at the same time, you know, we're not really sure. So Karis Levert going to be having surgery in the upcoming future here. Fachi, did we get a specific date? Did, did, did Levert say that at all in his press conference today? No. So he didn't confirm if he's going to get surgery or not. They okay. still need the next few days to evaluate everything. Um, they don't know if the kidney mass is cancerous or not. Now, look, I'm no doctor, but I'm going off of directly of what he said. And that it looks like, you know, they don't know when he's going to resume actual games, but he was with the Pacers today at practice. I thought that was awesome to see him with his teammates. And he said a lot of great things about, you know, Nate Bjorkman being an intense, very competitive coach. And, you know, we don't know. I mean, maybe we can see him in, Maybe it's March or maybe it's April. I, I hope it's the season, but at the end of the day, he's a human being. So let's just hope that he's all right. Yeah, and then, of course, Miles Turner, we did mention that he missed the game on Sunday. He'll probably miss with the game Wednesday against Dallas, but it looks like, you know, even though he has a fracture in that hand, Fauci, he's still listed as day-to-day. 
So he's day-to-day, uh, fracture in his right hand. You actually had a, a pretty solid joke on there. I mean, all that shot blocking, I mean, it's <laughs> it's bound to catch up with you. I mean, yeah. that man has been swatting every shot left and right to the point where, you know, who knows how the fracture happened. But the fact that Miles Turner practiced today is an extremely positive sign here. So while he's day-to-day, yes, I, I don't think that he's going to play against the Mavericks. I'm sure he probably want to just because he's from that Dallas area, even yeah. though, it, you know, it's it's in Indiana. And, you know, I still think against the Mavs, it's probably something he would like to play, but he probably won't. But uh, over the next, uh, you know, few games, the Pacers don't play a team with a winning record. So it's more about weathering the storm and getting back a healthy Miles Turner, uh, hopefully soon enough. Um, yeah, so I didn't realize the Mavericks were under 500 this year. A little bit of a shocker there, Foch. <laughs> it, it is. Porzingis, he's played about four games now, so he missed the beginning of the season. You got to feel like that probably played an effect in there. I believe um, that the, the Mavs are like 8-9 or they're like a game below 500. But what's actually been really interesting is they were a really poor defensive team last year and a really good offensive team. They're actually one of the better defensive units this year while still a pretty good offensive team. So I think that that's going to be a game that the Pacers don't want to overlook if you're just staring at their record. Oh, oh yeah, and there's no doubt about it. It's going to be a tough game for Indiana. I mean, good to be back from that long road trip. Thankfully, the Pacers did go 2-2 two and two in that, Fachi, and it's, uh, it's, it's kind of wild because they, they lost to the Kings to start it off. Suns game got postponed thanks to COVID and con- uh, contact tracing. And then, of course, they lost and got pummeled against the Clippers. I mean, it looked like they were hanging in there until about the third quarter, and then all of a sudden, Clippers went on a run. The Pacers had no stop for them. And that's kind of what happens when you're missing four of your top six players, respectively. Now, of course, you can make the case for Justin Holiday, McDermott. They've had really good seasons. But when you're just so thin at the top and, and you're without your top four players or top four of your four of your top six players, you're gonna have you're gonna have a hard time winning because it just makes your bench so much thinner. It really is. And look, when you're talking about making the bench thinner, look at this number. The Clippers bench outscored the Pacers bench in that game 65 to 14. <laughs> I mean, that says it all. I mean, yeah. this was a whooping. Uh, the Pacers were crushed on the rebound, 61 to 41. They gave up 56 points in the paint. You could feel the absence of Miles Turner there. I mean, the Clippers, I mean, the Pacers had no answer at all. When you mentioned, yes, the first half, they really were in that. I believe they were down like five uh, going into the third quarter. And then the Clippers just, they had quite a second half. I mean, they ended up winning the game by, I believe, about 34 points or very close to it. So that game was not close in the end. But when you talked about it, the Pacers were so thin you had to move McDermott into starting lineup. Justin Holiday's in the starting lineup as well. Um, Edmund Sumner. I mean, there was really no one left uh, other than we got to see Goga debut. And yeah. I'm going to be honest, Alex, I didn't like what I saw. I didn't. Yeah. But well, we got to be patient. Can we have a conversation about Goga? Because, yes. like, I, I think it's very important that we do have this conversation because a lot of people on Twitter are slowly but not, like, all the way there, but they're slowly starting to turn on him like they did yes, T.J. Leaf. Mm-hmm. And I will say this, like, Goga has had a very rough start to his career. Going back to the fact that he couldn't get over here because of visa issues, didn't get to play in the, in the summer league, you know, plays in the G League and dominates, doesn't really have an opportunity to play under McMillan because McMillan doesn't play as young guys, and then he gets injured and, 
is I think he had a sprained ankle. Is that what it yep. was? Yes, it and, was. Yeah. So he misses, you know, the first couple of weeks once the new season begins. And he's just had he's just gotten off to a rough start with injuries. He just had a series of bad luck. And what do you expect from a young player who's like 19 years old playing his first game of the season in a new system with, you know, players he's not probably used to playing with coming off of an ankle injury? Like, just pump the brakes. Like, if Goga is really bad by the end of the season, then, like, okay. And he's playing, you know, maybe with a bigger sample size, it's okay to say Goga's not good. But right now, I think that we need to just calm down, let Goga get his reps before we start prejudging who Goga is as a player. Because right now, I feel like we have way too small of a sample size uh, to really make a fair uh, assessment on his game. So Goga had, I completely agree right there, that we definitely have to pump the brakes because Goga had one really nice take uh, in that game against the Clippers. I tweeted out, I was like, wow, I got to take the positives with the negatives. That was a beautiful take by Goga. And I got about, I think it was like three people tweeted uh, right after that saying he's horrible. And it's like, okay, guys, like let's give him some time. Like there's there's some good things that Goga can do. I believe you also had like two steals in the game. Look, there was some clumsy fouls and stuff like that. But that's what comes with getting reps, shaking off the rust. Like we cannot TJ Leaf this man because he's not going to get better at that point. Like we need to be behind him. And if Miles Turner is going to miss some time, I want those minutes to go to Goga. Like, I want him to be able to learn in there, take the good with the bad, and and play, like, his way out of any, like, rust because there's going to be rust. And he still is essentially a rookie. I mean, he really is. Goga has not played that much in the NBA to the point where I'm basically treating him like a rookie. Like, I feel like it's like, hey, let's see what you got because we. the fact is, you can't compare the G League to the NBA. He's too good for the G League. And in the NBA, he's trying to find his footing. So let's give him the actual reps right now. We know at some point, Sabonis is going to need to play less minutes. So right. Goga, I think, is the perfect guy to give some of those minutes to. Well, and the thing is, Flash, like people that are saying he's horrible, I'll just I'll just say this. We are a generation, or the, the majority of people on Twitter and social media, are a generation of wanting things right now. Instant results. And when it comes to drafting a guy at the 18th overall pick, you want instant results. You want this guy to come right in and be ready to play. Kevin Pritchard said when they drafted him, we think he's a a player that's ready to play right away. And unfortunately, that might have been a little bit uh, premature to say that from Kevin Pritchard. But at the same time, like they they like some of the stuff on tape. I mean, everything that you want in in a modern day center, Gogo Batadze has. He can block shots. He can shoot the three, you know, um, he can make good passes. He's a terrible screen setter, but that's that's something he can get better at. So I, I would just say, like, look, I like Goga. I like the draft pick. I think you need center depth. And we got a, I got a question today on Twitter. I think uh, Mark and Tony were tagging it as well. But somebody was like, hey, since the Raptors let go of Alex Lynn, should we, should we pick him up and take a cheap flyer instead of get, and let him play Goga's minutes? And it's like – Look, the Raptors have been struggling with the center position all year long. The fact that they let one of their centers go in Alex Lynn should tell you enough of why they shouldn't bring him in. But at the same time, it's like we don't need to bring any veteran in. This is why they let Kyle O'Quinn go. This is why they moved on from their other centers because they know, like, when they drafted Goga, this is somebody that they believe in. So I just – I'm with you, Fudge. Like, the, the kid's got a lot of talent, a lot of potential, He's just very raw, and I think we need to let it 
Let it have some time. Let it breathe a little bit. Just pump the brakes. I mean, give the guy give the guy a break. Don't write him off so quick. You're completely right of how quickly we write off guys because, I mean, for instance, like R.J. Barrett. R.J. Barrett's 19 years old, and I was already hearing that he's a draft bust. And it's like 19? Oh, my God. In football, if Lamar Jackson didn't win that divisional round playoff game, he was going to be considered a choke artist. It's like he's 23. I mean, some of these guys, they're so young. We have to give them time. My idol, Jermaine O'Neal. Jermaine O'Neal rode the bench. His first couple of years in Portland. Sure, he was out of high school, but it's like, come on, Gogo was, was playing over in Europe. Like, this is a big adjustment. Not everybody can make that leap that we saw Luca make from, from Europe to the NBA. I mean, it's like, this guy needs time. He needs reps. He needs to be able to just be on the court. And that's the one thing he hasn't been able to do. He just hasn't been able to stay on the court. So if you bring in a guy like Alex Len, who as a former fifth overall pick, would be considered a bust or a guy that didn't live up to his expectations, you're solidifying that Gogo will never live up to his expectations. So patience is is what we need here. The Pacers took patience with TJ Leaf. They gave him a few years. We're giving Gogo, what what is he like, really maybe 40 appearances into his career maybe, give or take? That's Uh, enough. You know, I mean – there's so much more that he can give, but he just needs to be on the court to 55 game appearances. But you know, some of those appearances are probably a handful of minutes. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I'm all on the, Hey, I want Goga to take those minutes. Not a guy that we've already seen like Alex Lynn, who is, is a in and out next year. He'll be on another team. No, let's develop what we already have. No, I agree with you, Fachi. He's only played a total of 487 total minutes divided by 55. It's not that many. So it's uh, it's one of those things. It's like, just just calm down. If he's bad in a year or two, then he's bad. They miss on the draft pick. We can talk about it. But right now, it's way too early to do that. So speaking of draft picks, though, uh, I want to talk a little bit about Aaron Holiday's week last week. Very up and down. But another guy that got drafted the same year as T.J. Leaf was Edmund Sumner. And this is a guy that came into that starting lineup, Fauci, and he was really darn impressive. I, I won't lie. I absolutely loved the way he was just giving it all he had. Didn't play like gobs of minutes, but when he was out there with that starting unit, he was very impactful. There is nothing that you can complain about for Edmund Sumner other than maybe I would love to see a three-point shooting come, but – Great. He played really good defense. I mean, it sticks It sticks out to me, that Gold State game where they ran that box in one and he was guarding Curry a lot. And in the beginning, I was like, oh, this, this could be a disaster. You know, Curry coming off of a rough game. No, he played great defense in that game. And while we're not going to give him all the credit, I mean, I think Steph finished the game with five made field goals, I believe it was, um, through the, the West Coast trip. Edmund Sumner, He's averaging nine points per game on 50% shooting and a steal and a half. I mean, for a guy like Sumner, who at times we go large portions with not seeing him or he's hurt, I think he's played his role really well lately. And a guy like Aaron Holiday, who you mentioned, I have a soft spot for Aaron Holiday. It's been rough. It's been rough. His game against Golden State was easily his best game of the year. But other than that, I mean, it's hard to find a close second. Yeah, no, that's the only really good game he's had, the only standout game that he's had. And we saw some last year. I mean, I I think that he was better last year than he was this year. I don't know if it's just the opportunities because when he was with that starting lineup, it was really hard for him. Like, you're not going to get a lot of touches. You're asked to kind of score in spurts. And then 
Um, just you're just kind of that fifth guy. So it, it was really difficult for him. And then you put him on the bench, and the one game he played as the backup point guard without TJ McConnell, um, he looked pretty good on the road. I mean, I, I do think that he played against Phoenix as the backup point guard, and he did not look good in that game yeah. uh, a couple of weeks, a couple Saturdays ago. And then in Sacramento, the team just really looked bad defensively all across the board. They just really struggled. But so yeah, but you got to think about it, Fachi. The guys didn't have Oladipo for those, you know, those three three road trip games. And then of course you don't have TJ Warren. So it's just a really thin lineup. And, and the fact that you give guys like Sumner and Aaron Holiday and then McDermott and Justin Holiday more opportunities, they played well. But at the same time, they're not they're not the level of players like Lavert, like TJ Warren, like Victor Oladipo once was. So yeah, you're gonna miss those guys and you're gonna miss the impact they have because look at the impact Vic had in that game in Sacramento. Started to bring us back a little bit. So asking these guys to step up is great, but you know, relying on them to be the the to fill that void is a very tough task for all of those bench players because that's not who they are. No, it's not. And there's not, I don't think there's gonna be one guy out of the group that just rises and becomes someone else. This is gonna be a collective effort. Now, going through that West Coast road trip, Doug McDermott played really well. I mean, he... Road McDermott is back, baby. Road McDermott averaged over 16 points per game in that stretch, shot over 60% and 50% from three. I know it's just a four-game stretch, but, I mean, McDermott's playing the best basketball so far of his career in terms of, like, a per-game average. I absolutely love what I'm seeing from McDermott right now, shooting over 50% from the field on the season and basically 40% from three, a hair under. And Justin Holiday's just been rock solid. I mean, Holiday over over that four-game stretch was averaging 10.5 points per game, 48% shooting, 45 from three. So I, I love it. It's just a can these guys do this every single night? I don't know. I feel like Aaron Holiday is that guy that needs to step up. I mean, that game that we talked about against Golden State where Aaron Holiday was great, 16 points, 12 assists, you know, that's really good for him. The confusing part is, other than that, basically on the season, he only had about 15 assists other than that game. So it's just kind of strange that he had such a great double-double performance. But other than that, you know, it's really just one assist a night, two assists. Like, just really hasn't been able to get in a flow and scoring-wise. I mean, I just flat out hasn't been good. I mean, 35% from the field right now. I think that he'll be able to snap out of this because he was a good, reliable player next year. So I'm looking for Aaron Holiday to step up. And I'm also, you know, it's going to be premature, but I'm looking for that that Jeremy Lamb return. You got to ease him in, but it feels like helps on the way, maybe about a week or two away. I know he just resumed uh, practice recently, so they're saying that he's close and we could really use it. No, I, I think Jeremy Jeremy Lamb is someone I've said for a while, or the, at least the last couple of weeks, like expecting him to be, you know, this, you know, shooting guard replacement for TJ Warren or this wing replacement for TJ Warren in the starting lineup is asking a lot. Yeah. Right. But right now with both Lavert and TJ Warren out, like, yeah, this does mean the Pacers need him to get back in that starting lineup, whether he just plays 10 or 15 minutes a game to kind of get his feet wet or maybe 20 minutes. I don't know what his you know minutes per game will be coming back from the serious injury, but getting him into the starting rotation will allow that bench unit to come back together. And we have, when, when, when playing well together, I mean, the, the bench unit is really tough because they bring so much, you know, diversity. You got Sabonis playing with 
those shooters out there, even Miles when he's played with the bench has looked really good. So I just think that having so many shooters out there on the court with a guy like McConnell who can just really bring the energy. Like, I think that's the one thing I noticed in the Suns and the Kings losses. You really miss TJ McConnell's oh, yes. out there. Just, you know, pressuring young ball handlers. Like, that's just not something Aaron Holiday's is good at. You know, being able to, you know, orchestrate the offense. He, he can get in the paint. He kicks out for three-point shooters. Him and Sabonis are working well together. Sabonis can do his stuff with, you know, Doug and TJ gets the ball down the court quick. I mean, it's just, there's a lot of great things about what McConnell does. So honestly, it's like, look, I, I look at this Pacers team and I think getting Lamb back is essential for going forward because if you can get Lamb back and Turner back relatively soon, that gives you a much more stable rotation. And whether they start Justin Holiday, whether they start Sumner, who knows, but I think it is very smart for the Pacers to try to get that bench unit back intact and that is why I think Jeremy Lamb is so important, whether he puts up five points or 12 points a game, he just, his presence is going to exactly. be. Exactly. Uh, it does not matter what he puts up. You just, it's funny because about a week, maybe two weeks ago, we talked about where's Jeremy Lamb going to fit in this eight man rotation that the Pacers are using. And now all of a sudden, you know, guys are dropping like flies, you know, Vic's no longer there. So the, the need for Jeremy Lamb is, is more, you know, important than ever before. Um, so I'm very excited for that. I think just having him out there just gives the Pacers another option because guys like Hugh and Martin, Jalen LeCue, just those, they just don't feel like they're ready. Cassius Stanley, I, I'm rooting for him, but I just don't think he's a guy who's ready to contribute right now. A guy like Jeremy Lamb, far more seasoned. Uh, you know, he was playing basically, you know, career basketball, uh, you know, basically the last year for the Pacers, but definitely the previous year for Charlotte. So if he can come back, and be even 80% of what he was before, you know, early on the season, I think that would be massive. But just to touch on TJ McConnell part, I mean, having McConnell back, it's just that energy, that vibe that he brings, you you cannot replace it. I mean, the last four appearances for TJ McConnell, he has 11 steals in there. I, wow. I feel like I'm sure there's someone better, but it feels like he defends that inbound pass so good. Oh, like, there's nobody better than that. I don't think there's anyone better. I don't. I was trying to think of it. And I was like, hey, look, maybe there's some other, you know, other team I'm not paying close attention to, but McConnell, I do feel like is the best inbounds defensive, you know, <laughs> guard right there. He's always just diving on the floor, coming up with a loose ball. I mean, that that right there typically is good for like two points a game, you feel like, on those steals. And the eight assists, the six assists on, on the West Coast trip against, you know, the Clippers in Portland, I mean – just the minutes that he's giving you, it, it's quality. He's never trying to do too much. Like he was that one guy that we were wondering, how is he going to start shooting threes? Well, you know what? He's not. He yeah. just doesn't. And, and I'm fine with that because take a smart shot. Don't just take a shot because you're open. If you can't make it, he knows his limitations. And for that, you know, I'm fine with it. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, that. you know, it's funny because Aaron – is a guy that I think a lot of people envisioned as the backup point guard, even going back to last year. I know I was one of them, Yep. but he just really has not been consistent enough to give him the keys to that second unit where TJ McConnell has just been so steady. And I know he wasn't good in the playoffs last year, but what he's done through the regular season, I think maybe under the new coaching staff and under coach Nate Bjorkren, maybe he'll be a little bit different, but yeah, I mean, it's uh it's uh it's been great to see and I think they play well together even though they're a little bit undersized and it's a smaller backcourt those two guys have really good chemistry together and McConnell is a perfect 
influencer, uh, the uh, a perfect motivator for Aaron Holiday to grow. And then he's got his brother there too. So, I mean, this is a good spot for Aaron, but sometimes I feel like maybe he's asked to do so many different things at so many different times. Giving him that consistent bench roll could be the best thing that happens to him because I envision him being a sixth or seventh man and hopefully – uh, elevating that scoring punch because if he can consistently get that three-point shot down and, and continue to work on getting to the basket and getting guys open, then you're going to see more nights where he's averaging 16 points and 12 assists or or some type of fraction of that. You're not going to see the, you know, two or three shot attempts and like three assists with a, with a turnover. Like I, he just needs the ball in his hands a little bit more to develop. But I think at the same time, he's got to prove that he can be consistent to, to be able to give, to be given those opportunities. And that's the thing. Consistency is everything. Under McMillan, I feel like that that was where he would get yanked after making you know, a mistake. And but this is a guy who also shot 39.5% from three last year. He's a very capable three-point shooter. Uh, I find that hard to believe that he's going to continue to shoot around 24%. I mean, that's just not acceptable. I, I think that he will get it going. It's just it's just taking a little bit longer than than what we'd like. But um, and another news that I didn't, I didn't think we got to touch on um, – what do you think of uh, Karis LeVert taking number 22, replacing TJ Leaf's number? You know, it, it felt like felt like we had to shut the chapter on there and kind of open up the next era and, and a new 22 for the Pacers. Hey, you know what? It's a 22 that Kevin Pritchard always dreamed of yep. uh, drafting. Yeah, you know, it's funny because I think LeVert was drafted the year before TJ Leaf. So, Maybe uh, maybe Kate Pritchard was like thinking in his head, oh, I got to go back and make this right. But no, it's just TJ Leaf, you know, is not in the NBA for a reason. And it was a miss of a pick. And now we got Karis LeVert and somebody that's going to bring some great vibes wearing that number 22. Yeah, oh, I can't wait for that. And Alex, maybe it's just me wishful thinking, but I feel like the way, I mean, LeVert's complimented the Pacers for everything that they've done and the due diligence and sticking with them. I mean, this, this trade could have gotten ugly and it, it could have, backfired instead the Pacers medical staff from everything they know it sounded like this is going to be he's going to be all right the fact they were able to get another second round pick and cash and stick by Levert I feel like is only gonna make his bond to the Pacers stronger when he's able to hit the court and I think you're gonna get a guy that's even hungrier and, and you know hey at the end of the day this trade could have saved his life. It, it could have. Who, who knows? Hopefully it doesn't get to that point. But it's just kind of crazy how things work out that way. And and I do think by the time he hits the court, he's going to be hungrier than ever to win. And I think he'll develop a great relationship with his teammates in the meantime. <laughs> no, I do too. I mean, there's a lot of great things about Karis LeVert. And I know Scott Agnes has an article that, that came out today and it's uh, highlighting just the kind of person that he is. And I saw somebody posted like four different pictures of Levert smiling. Mm -hmm. And I, one thing you kept talking about Victor is he lost his smile. He lost his yeah. smile. Well, Levert's coming in full blown smiling. I mean, I think Levert's I excited. I, I thought it was hilarious to find out that uh, Levert actually overslept his nap. Yep. And, <laughs> and when they got notified about the trade, it was like 10 minutes late after it already been posted. So that's hilarious. Like that, that is just so funny, but that is, just you know he just seems like a down-to-earth pacer type of guy and i'm excited to see how he plays and how he fits with this team but unfortunately you know i didn't mean i didn't mean it as far as this when i said it earlier in the year but i think it's really true now this pacers season is just kind of a a, 
a stopping ground or whatever for what's what's coming next season. I think next season is going to be the season where this team really shows what they are made of. Like, you know, maybe maybe you get them back by April. Maybe you get TJ Warren back by April. But at the same time, that's not enough time to develop. No. Go through a normal off season. Hopefully there's vaccines. Hopefully COVID restrictions are kind of, you know, lightened up a little bit. Hopefully this disease has kind of calmed down and we're able to get fans back in the stands and we're able to get back to some normalcy for these NBA players. And that will be exciting because then if you bring back this core, that's when things really get exciting for 2021, 2022. And you don't have that monkey hanging over your head for the rest of the season with Victor's indecision. I know. And unfortunately, I agree. Look, I'm not ready to punt this season after a bad loss to the Clippers where we barely had anyone. But it's just unfortunate that, like, now Vic is off the team. And then we we get someone that we're excited about. But then he might not play this year. And T.J. Warren, we don't know if he returns this year. Like, maybe he does. Maybe in April. But maybe he doesn't. And and it's at that point where, once again, it feels like, hey, man, we, we bring this team back next year. We're ready to rock. And Unfortunately, that's how it feels. It's how it is. I mean, the Pacers didn't have a draft pick coming into this year. It's 10 less games. I mean, we're seeing some some teams haven't been able to even play in a while. So I think it's going to be very important to be able to get that chemistry with Warren and Levert, which you're you're just not going to be able to get this year. I mean, you, you, just, you just aren't. Um, so that's really unfortunate. But actually, we never got to touch on what did you think of the report that came out where apparently Pritchard offered Oladipo a contract that was going to be starting at $25 million per year and that he turned it down? At least gave us some clarity that a deal was offered. Yeah, that's the most they could offer him. And so yeah. um, it had 8% races on it. And mm-hmm. I was doing a little bit of math in my head, you know, taking the 8% of whatever the, that money would be, adding it, and then doing 8% of that for the next year. I mean, by year three and four, Victor would have been close to around 30 and a little bit over $30 million. So, you know, I'm uh, I'm excited that uh, they were able to get something for him, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and and I, I'm excited that the Pacers actually did give him an offer because you can't say they didn't. And, of course, of course, Victor's going to bet on himself. I have no um, – I see no fault in that because he didn't want to be here. And it was really funny because when Kevin Pritchard was on Dan Dockage, he said he had his he maybe had his eyes on sunnier states, but he wouldn't confirm it. And he was really trying to be very PC about it because everything that we've seen on social media, like it seems like the 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 marriage coming to an end was very positive. Um, did not seem negative. Vic did not seem like he had negative feelings toward the Pacers. Pacers felt, you know, they came across as very encouraging of Victor and his step forward. But I think it's a lot easier to be encouraged about Victor moving forward when you get Karis Levert in return and Victor gets to go to one of the biggest markets in the NBA in Houston to kind of showcase his game. I mean, look at what he did last night without John Wall. Had a really good game besides seven turnovers. But, yeah, I mean, I think it's a win-win for everybody. And and the Pacers got a cheaper deal. And, really, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about it. And, uh, unfortunately, the Victor Oladipo era does bring some mixed feelings. But – I'm I'm happy. I'm happy that the Pacers got Levert. I am happy. And look, like I said, everything goes with I hope that Levert is more than fine and healthy. But even if he does not play this season for the Pacers, I still think it's a good trade for the Pacers because you're getting a really talented player uh, and two second round picks and cash. Those 
those picks in the cash that could easily be used as an asset and, an and that trade exception as well exactly and i think all of that is very valuable to have one quote that stuck out for me from pritchard was basically saying that you know oladipo said that he wanted to win at the highest level that was the number one priority he said what that means is a little ambiguous to us because we're also trying to win at the highest level so it, it was like it felt like a little bit of that thrown in there of like what's wrong with indiana we're trying to do the same thing but mm. in the end hey if that's what he wanted all right you know things could have gone a lot worse if he strung us along i think like like we talked about he was a professional came in played the best that he could and that's and what helped us facilitate a trade off of you know he looked good and you know, when you mentioned they scored 32 points uh, the other night, I did some digging. Alex, the last time that Oladipo topped 30 points was January 4th, 2019, the game where he banked in the three-pointer against Chicago. Oh, wow. We're talking over two calendar years. I mean, that was a great game for the Patriots, but it just showed like, wow. I mean, it's really been that long. And I think that this Houston team, we'll see when John Wall comes back, but it's going to be interesting to see Oladipo really showcase his talent because the vibe feels like he won't be playing in Houston next year. Now you never know, but it feels like an audition for the rest of the league to try and get back to that money, that number that Indiana offered him. That's starting at 25 million. I find it kind of hard that he'll get that, but at the same point, you never know. Yeah. I thought it was funny that he kind of, in his, I guess is, um, press conference when he was announced as you know uh the the newest member of the houston rockets he kind of acted like uh, i believe he said it was a business plan or uh, he was approaching it like a business so he did it's it is what it is and i think that he handled it very uh professionally this season i don't think how we handled things in the off season last year during the entire restart i don't think he handled things well there but no now i'm okay with it you know i thought he played well this year and, and you think about it, there was some times where he really brought the Pacers back in games, kept them afloat, and they're going to miss him. I mean, I, I I understand that Levert is injured, so of course that does put a little bit of a damper on everything. But, yeah, you're going to miss him, and you're going to miss what he was able to bring because nobody else on the roster really can bring that. Nobody else has a great pull-up three-point shot. Nobody else has that clutch gene like he does. So, you know, it's a great move because Levert is a guy – that's on contract for the next couple of years, much cheaper and much more uh, fitting with this culture. Oladipo, on the other hand, he's a guy that you were not sure if he was going to come back. He handled it better than than Paul George. He didn't come out and say, trade me. He basically just said, I don't know what my future is. And although his stock was not very high, the Pacers made bank on getting that extra million from the extra millions of dollars from the Nets getting two second round picks, Karis LeVert and a trade exception for a guy that's going to leave in four months. I mean, as good as it gets. You, I mean, Karis LeVert is a, is a really good basketball player. So anybody that's hating on this trade, anybody that's, oh, why do we trade Oladipo? What a terrible trade. I don't even know who LeVert is. Learn to know LeVert, know his game before you start making comments like that and realize if somebody's going to leave you and you get something back in return, and you could have gotten nothing, something is always better than nothing. Always, always. And and someone, I can't remember who it was, someone tweeted at me and said, like, what's the dip? why the, like, why the nice, you know, goodbye to Oladipo compared to Paul George? And, like, look, 
while both of them left and it was a little bit different. This one just felt like, I don't know. I felt like he might've given management a little bit more of a heads up where they were able to look for trade situations instead of like Paul George flat out revealing his hand and, and all of a sudden Pacers getting, you know, penny offers on the dollar. I know Oladipo and Sabonis ended up blossoming, but it just felt like the way Paul George left and the way that he doesn't even say like Pacers just says like my original team and stuff like that, those little comments there and all that, I think that's what kind of made the departure worse. I feel like for Oladipo, at least like we talked about, when he came in there, worked his butt off and everything like that, it wasn't a distraction this year when everybody feared that it would have been. Yeah. Well, I got to ask you, Fox, because as we kind of wrap this podcast up, we know there's a lot of injuries with this team and there's talks of maybe adding, you know, an 18th roster spot, maybe adding an extra two-way contract. There's been a lot of people out there saying we're really short on the wing on our wing depth with both Levert and Warren out and Lamb still not healthy. I know we have Jalen McHugh. I know we have Keelan Martin. I know that the Holiday brothers are there. McDermott's there. Sumner's there. I mean, there's guys there. But is there anybody in mind that the Pacers you think should bring in and give them a look at, at the wing position? If you're going to bring in anyone, why not bring in the guy who has been a Pacer a few times? I'm talking about Lance Stevenson, the guy that was almost a Pacer last year. I mean, it was as close as could be. It seemed that Lance was coming back to the Pacers. He's already played with a few guys on this team. I just feel like, why not Lance? I mean, you know he's interested in coming back, and you know the fan base wants it. I do feel like he's talented enough, but it feels like only the Pacers would be the team to give him that shot. No, <laughs> I think Lance is an interesting name. I know fans really want Lance. So if fans want him, I understand there's not that many fans going to be allowed to see the Pacers live. Maybe around 1,000, I think, starting in the next couple of days, maybe next week. But why not? You know, I mean, if you need some help, I think Ronnie Hollis Jefferson's available. I think a guy that I looked up before we came on the pod was uh, Alan Crabb. That's a guy that was making some serious money when he got – the huge offer sheet from the from the Brooklyn Nets before Portland, Portland re-brought him back. So, I mean, there's a couple different names out there that you can maybe look at. But, I mean, if, if you're going to really look at this hardcore, I think one move that I would consider doing is, is calling back up your good friends from Houston, the ones that just decided to give you Levert for Oladipo, and say, what can we do to get P.J. Tucker? Because I think P.J. Tucker not only would help now, but I think he would help come playoff time, someone that can really be gritty. He's a good corner three-point shooter. He's had plenty of experience, and I, I just feel like he brings a lot to the table. Oh, if you're going to look at the, the trade market you know, avenue, I saw a report, now who knows how true this is, that the asking price for P.J. Tucker could be three second-round picks. And I find that very interesting. The Pacers just landed two second-round picks, and you know they have a few others. So they have the assets there if it's not going to take any, you know, core young players. So I would be really interested to bring in P.J. Tucker, one of the better, if not the best, corner three-point shooters in the league, a really good defender. That's like – that's that classic veteran that I've wanted on the Pacers for a while because – that guy's just going to make everybody a bit tougher. He's going to have your back. I mean, he can obviously play really good basketball. And the situation in Houston, it's only a matter of time. P.J. Tucker will be moved this year. I feel it. He's not getting a new deal there. 
if you're the Pacers, why not at least place a call? Oh, I I totally agree. I think there's going to be a lot of teams that want him, though, because a lot of teams know that he's available. But at the same time, this is a guy that's really good, and I think the Pacers are really trying to assemble a roster. I think Kevin Pritchard said it yesterday on the Day and Docket show. They're trying to a, um, assemble a roster that's maybe doesn't have an elite star, but they have a lot of good, talented players. So you're probably going to have to give up something of, of value to get him back if you're talking contract-wise because while they do have a little bit of an exception, um, I guess they – I wonder how that works because they have a 4.796 uh, trade exception with Houston and they also have a 2.81 with TJ Leaf. So I wonder if they could use those together, but I don't know how that works. I don't believe that you can. I could be wrong, though. I could. I, th- I think you can use one of them, but I don't think you can combine. Um, could be wrong, but a guy like PJ Tucker, it's not that bad. Eight point three five million on the year that he's making. I do think that that's you know very reasonable to you know find someone to include there. Uh, I don't think that Houston's really going to be looking to take back any salary. I do think that's probably why they took Oladipo over Levert. So I think. Picks might just kind of be what they're looking for. Obviously, you have to make the salaries work, but, you know, find a guy to throw in there that's not making too much. Yeah, I'm trying it right now to see if this works. Let's see here. Okay, the Pacers could trade TJ McConnell and Jalen LeCue plus picks for P.J. Tucker. Would you do that deal? I'll do it right now. You would get rid of TJ McConnell? I like McConnell, but do you see McConnell coming back next year? I don't know. PJ Tucker, probably not coming back next year. While we know that, hey, we love everything that McConnell brings, I do think that PJ Tucker could bring a bit more to the court. Yeah, that's fair. Okay, I'm going to try. Here's the thing, though. Here's at the end of the day if it's going to take you two second round picks, McConnell and, you know, LeCue, you know, you got to know that this. Probably isn't the year for the Pacers. It would make things more fun. It would make them a, a better team. But, you know, it comes down to, you know, Tucker's probably not going to be here in the future. Okay, well, once February 27th clears, they could trade Jakar, Keelan Martin, Jalen LeCue, and then picks for P.J. Tucker as well. So maybe that's more of the route you go. You do get a little bit uh, smaller there on the depth, but I think that that'd be worth it. Uh, even though I know you're, I know we're all big Jakar guys, but love me some Jakar. Uh, PJ Tucker, I think, is a little bit of an upgrade um, over oh, yes. him. But yeah, yes. so that's that's that. So um, he's according to TradeNBA.com, he's making PJ Tucker is making seven point nine million this year. So I think the Pacers trade exceptions for about six. So you'd have to kind of come up with that uh, difference there, or actually, no, I think it is because. Um, let's see here. I, actually, it's four point something. It's four point something. But anyway, who cares? Who cares, right? But at the end of the day, Fachi, you know, it's uh, it's probably not going to happen. I think this is the team we roll with. I don't think I they think really so. bring anybody in. They're just going to ride it out. I, I think so. I think if the Pacers were like a, a PJ Tucker away from from really, you know, getting everything going, if Lavert was healthy and TJ Warren's healthy, I mean, I don't know where you'd really fit in there as much. But you know, that could put you over the limit, make you like a really good team. In a year like this, it's like 
Is PJ Tucker really the difference between you know winning a playoff series for this team? I don't know. I think, I he, think he, he could be. <laughs> he could be, but you know the way the last few playoff series have gone. I know this is a different year, different coach, whole, whole lot of different things. You know, it's not like we've been going a game seven and we're like, oh, we're a defensive stop away. It's like, hey, you know, we, we got some ways to go. I think P.J. Tucker would definitely make this Pacers team better. Maybe, maybe you can get out of the first, but I don't think he's going to take you to the championship. I don't think he's a championship, you, no. know, make, you know, make or break type of player. But I do think, like, just imagine you're going in a, going in a series against the, 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 the Milwaukee Bucks. Who is your best option to guard Giannis Antetokounmpo? Could not tell you. Yeah, I mean, you're probably talking miles at this point. If... And, and and then maybe TJ Warren, <laughs> if fully healthy. I'm talking playoffs here. This is where I think Tucker could come in. Tucker's a really strong defender. Um, he would probably force Giannis to shoot threes. And I think he's strong enough to not really get bullied down low. I mean, he's not, you know, size-wise Giannis has like – Six inches on him, so don't get me wrong. That there's that factor, yeah. but as far as like just defensive ability, um, PJ Tucker has probably got a year or two left where he's really going to be impactful. Mm-hmm. After that, I mean, he's getting older, so you know maybe you take a flyer on a guy like that just because you're trying to bolster your roster. But other than that, I I don't know much. But any other thoughts before we get out of here? I know we've kind of just been all over the place today, but a lot of good stuff. Oh, no, we were definitely dreaming at the end. I do not see the Pacers acquiring P.J. Tucker. but And I've seen some, some you know, fans chirping, hey, let's get in the Kevin Porter Jr. JaVale McGee market. Like, I don't see that happening either. Like, that's one of those where, yes, if you were going to look on paper, how do we make this team as, as good as possible? Yes, sure, those are moves that would probably on the court be positives. But are you going to bring in a guy like, Kevin Porter Jr. that could potentially disrupt things? I don't think so. JaVale McGee, I mean, is JaVale McGee going to be the guy that kills Goga's career? Like, I, you know, like let's not let's not do that right now. Like, we made our trade. We, we, we shipped out Vic. We're going to get Levert back, but we haven't even got to see Levert play for the Pacers, and I think let's just be patient, wait for that. Help's on the way. Jeremy Lamb will be there. Miles will recover. We're, we dodged a bull. It's not a... It's not a broken wrist or anything of the sort. Uh, And then also, hey, let's just hope that T.J. Warren comes back and we finally get to see the Pacers team that we pretty much envisioned, except, you know, Levert's swap for Oladipo. (laughs) Yeah, and and right now the Pacers are 8-5. and The schedule is a little bit easier, like you uh, mentioned at the beginning of the podcast. So it's, it's not like it's just overwhelming, but at the same time, you know, it's there's it's okay to be a little bit concerned with all the injuries, and hopefully, Road McDermott will make his way to uh, to home and play great, especially if he's in the starting role. I mean, he's been fantastic at finishing at the rim this year. I think he's in like the seventy percentile at finishing at the rim. So it's uh, him and Sabonis are both in the seventy percentile. So I just think offensively, Doug McDermott's been so good, and I, I hope that he continues to you know just have a breakout year because it's funny. Him and Turner have been having, you know, you know, the best the best season of their career, and and it's no surprise that it comes after a huge trade rumor uh, that almost had them being shipped out to Boston. Oh yeah, you know, and actually shipping out to Boston, Dropkick Murphy song right there. Yeah, I had to had to throw that in there, but um, <laughs> it was I couldn't let, couldn't pass that up. But Doug McDermott, I mean, this was someone who was 
literally unplayable in the playoffs. He put in the work. And it, it, we're seeing the bit. We're seeing that right now. McDermott, twenty-three points against the Clippers, but it looked like at one point he could have been going for a career night. And for that, you know, you gotta love what you're seeing from McDermott. So, hey, props, props to Dougie. Absolutely, teach me how to Dougie. So, everybody, we hope you guys enjoy today's show. We got Pacers basketball tonight. If you're listening to this on Wednesday morning or tomorrow, if you're listening to us on Tuesday night late. We thank you so much for checking out our episode. We got the Mavericks Wednesday night, so Luca will be in town, and so will Kristaps. So really tough challenge for the Indiana Pacers, but it's good to be back home, and hopefully we can see the Pacers get another W in that win column. So as for me, you can follow me on Twitter at AlexGoldenNBA. My co-host Mike Flachi is at underscore F-A-C-C-I. We're on Twitter at SettingThePace3 and over on Instagram at Pacers Talk. And at the end of the day, Flachi, what do we have to say? Let's Let's go go Pacers. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.